Welcome, everybody, back to the Rooted and Edified show. I'm your host, Caddy Elias, along here with your amazing co-host, Manny Elias. Hello. And you are joining us for a special, special episode today. Old Testament, how important is it? And to help answer that question, we have an amazing man of God, Joe Slunaker. So glad to be with you today. Happy dance for you. Woo! Before we introduce our special guest a little bit more, I want to remind you about a few things of this podcast. The Rude and Edified Show is a fun-loving, conservative Christian worldview show for both men and women who want to hear about the four T's, testimonies, topics, talents, and theology, of course. We want to help you grow deeper in your relationship with Christ and more mature in your walk. And if we can get a few laughs on the side, completely fine with that. And a few puns. And a few puns. As a reminder, we put out both an audio podcast and a video one, so whichever is your preference, it's available to you. If you are watching this episode or listening to it and you just like what you're hearing and you want to help out in some way, we would love for you to contact us on our website, which is www.beautifullyrooted.com. And that's spelled B-E-Y-O-U. So now let's introduce our special guest one more time, a little bit more in depth, Joe Slunaker. He has a PhD in the Old Testament, perfect for this podcast. He teaches up to master's level at several institutions, including Cal Baptist University, and he is our lead teaching pastor at Not Avenue Christian Church in Anaheim, California, and he's married for two years. So, Joe, would you mind telling us, please, a little bit more about yourself, and we'll jump right in. I'm a California native. The Lord transformed my life when I was a young man, uh, serving the Lord both in the local church and in the academy, whether at universities or seminaries is just a passion of my life. And to be able to do so and focus on the Old Testament is just crucial. I think crucial for the kingdom, crucial for my identity, and crucial for the pastorate. And so I'm very excited to be on this show because this is a topic and it's just a world that I persist in that is very important to me. So much so you got a PhD in it. Yes. That's right. And that was 10 years, I would say, well spent. I didn't think so when I was writing my dissertation, but now looking back at it, of course, worth every moment. So let's get started. And actually, before we get started, I wanted to mention a couple of things, a couple of my thoughts in case some of the viewers and listeners can relate. And then we'll jump into the questions. It seems like the Old Testament brings up lots of questions for many believers. And I imagine it's read a lot less often than the New Testament. One reason might be that the language and writing style is so different in the Old Testament than the New Testament. It's kind of an old language, harder to read and understand, so we might get overwhelmed and insecure and stop. Another reason I think that people not, might not feel the need to read the Old Testament. Maybe they don't feel it's necessary because not all churches preach on the Old Testament from the pulpit. And I know there are some churches that mostly preach from the Old Testament, but I think that's fewer. Also, I think that Genesis and Exodus are so enthralling that's exhilarating, full of stories, easy to understand. That's more written in our current language. But you get past that and you, you reach a whole bunch of genealogies and measurements and... Leviticus. <laughs> yeah. And dietary laws. And war details. <laughs> Chronicles. I know history buffs love it. Yeah, I love it. But not everybody else does. So I think those are some of the reasons that people don't just jump into the Old Testament or maybe they start and they don't finish it. So let's start off with... Maybe you can start off telling us why did you decide to dedicate a good portion of your life studying the Old Testament and eventually getting your PhD in it? I think there's a couple of reasons for that. Uh, one of them was that my early church experience did not involve the Old Testament mm. at all. 
And I was actually brought into a ministry position without ever having any experience with the Old Testament. So my experience then going to Bible college was a culture shock because my first semester, I've got to take Old Testament one, which was Pentateuch and former prophets. And so while implicitly I know that this is God's word, I've got no frame of reference to deal with this thing. And I start reading it and it is just blowing my mind because some of it is so strange. I don't even have the tools to understand, Mm -hmm. but others of it, I'm just seeing these things that to me sound like echoes of the New Testament. I come to find out that this is actually the foundational stuff upon which the New Testament is based. And so I was just incredibly fascinated and was just reading and reading and reading the Old Testament. And it was so strange, so weird. I just thought, wow, this demands my attention. It demands my attention to unearth what is significant here. That occupied my my university context and then also my seminary context. When I was considering PhD work, there were three reasons why I chose to go Old Testament. And I got to be totally honest with you, one of them was pragmatic. For every 100 people that get a New Testament PhD, only 10 get an Old Testament Mm. PhD. So if I was looking for a job someday, that just the numbers made Mm. sense. Uh, But far more importantly than that, along the continuum of, of my education, I had discovered how important the Old Testament was for the New Testament, and in particular of showing exactly who Jesus was and Mm. what he would accomplish. And then secondly, and this may be another pragmatic thing, because the Old Testament probably gets less airplay, that's at least been my experience in local churches, it feels very new. I mean, you can get people who have been in church their entire life and may be unfamiliar with Old Testament stories and theology. Is that how you lure them into church? You say, hey, we're going to say the New Testament, but then you get in with the Old Testament? Because it's new. I would rather say, (laughs) hey, you know, this is something in the Old Testament you may have never thought about, but it is crucial for understanding something in the New Testament. And so for all of those reasons, I was attracted to it. And that's why I devoted my life to it. I like how you mentioned that, you know, you realize after eventually after reading the Old Testament, how all of the New Testament, most of the New Testament, if not all of the New Testament is actually based on Old Testament. That is the scriptures for the New Testament. I remember one of the first ever pieces of the Bible I read were the Gospel of John. And so I read the Gospel of John and, and I'm, I'm hearing all of this interesting stuff. Like everybody knows John 3.16, but yeah. just back up a little bit in Absolutely. that chapter, Jesus is speaking to Nicodemus and he's quoting the book of Numbers and the bronze serpent. Absolutely. And I'm like, what, what is this thing? You know? and, then, and then I read another Gospel and you get... John the Baptist, when he sees Jesus, the first thing he says, behold, the Lamb of God. And I just mm. think for him to exclaim that just by seeing Jesus, that's got to be important. Where does that come from? Well, the foundation is the Old Testament. Yes. Love that. Thank you so much for that explanation. Definitely makes sense of why we need to read the Old Testament and why you got a PhD in it. So run out and go get your PhD in that. Mm-hmm. I think is what you're trying to say. Since there are some people out here who haven't read the Old Testament, probably had the best intentions and got to Exodus and just stopped, couldn't keep on going. Maybe you can help get us on the same page. What is the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament? Can you give us a little overview? Yeah. You know, the language is a little misleading because when we hear words like old and new, Mm -hmm. that makes it seem like it's outdated and current. But that's really not what these things mean. You know, the word testament means solemn declaration. I would rather call them the first and second testament. 
because what you've got in the Bible is 66 books, 39 of them in the Old Testament, 27 of them in the New Testament that tell a cohesive story. What separates these two things is the birth of the Savior. And so you've got Jesus, and that's what the New Testament starts with and ends with. And you've got the Old Testament, right, which happens before that, which builds. Everything in the Old Testament is building forward and pointing to who this guy would be. The Old Testament word for that is the Messiah, right? And so what you've got is two halves of the same whole, right? So what that means is our entire Bible is incomplete, without attention either to the Old Testament or New Testament. So they do form a whole that way. Now we're on the same page. Let's jump right in. Here we are in 2023. Jesus died and resurrected almost 2000 years ago. We know he fulfilled the Old Testament laws. We know we now have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. So the question is, is the Old Testament still relevant to us? Should we still read it? If so, why? I think it is incredibly relevant to us. And in a day and age when some are arguing that we quote unquote unhitch our faith from the Old Testament, I would argue the exact opposite for several reasons, like foundational reasons. For one, Jesus values the Old Testament. For two, there is nary a New Testament book that does not quote extensively from the Old Testament. And when the New Testament is talking about the scriptures, the holy writings, with the exception of one time, it's always talking about the Old Testament. Mm. So for us to get rid of the Old Testament would to stand in direct contradistinction with Jesus, the apostles, and anything you would find in the New Testament. Now, one of the reasons why, and, and I think that this is another kind of like verbiage thing that creates some confusion, is you know, we live under a new covenant, what Jesus establishes through his death and resurrection and victory. And so this new covenant sometimes is conflated. If we've got a new covenant, then that's the New Testament. So the old covenant is the Old Testament. The old covenant is not the Old Testament. The Old Testament contains the Old Covenant. And so reading the Old Testament to understand who God is, what he is about, it is going to be a totally contiguous picture. There are not two different gods. He does not have two different sets of attributes. This is the same God from beginning to end. Amen. If I may add to that, something that you mentioned that really struck a chord and was reminiscent of when I first started reading the Old Testament is when I read the scripture in Galatians where the Apostle Paul mentions the covenant that God made with Abraham and how that covenant preceded the Mosaic covenant, right? the covenant on Mount Sinai. And how the covenant on Mount Sinai didn't nullify Abraham's covenant. Because actually the new covenant, our covenant, is based on the promise made to Abraham. That's right. Right? That through his seed, who is our Lord Jesus, all of the nations of the earth would be blessed. And that's how us Gentiles get into the kingdom of God. Through the promise that God made to our forefather Abraham... And it's, it's true because I think sometimes when you conflate that and people think that because you're saying new, that makes the old obsolete, that it's unnecessary and, and nothing could be further from the truth. I think especially when you think of people who get so sensationalistic into the New Testament and even overemphasize, in my opinion, the book of Revelation, which ironically is one of the books that has the most allusions to the 
Old Testament than any other book in the Bible. The most in the New Testament. (laughs) Right. Right. And it's amazing because in order to fully understand it, you can't open up the newspaper to fully understand the, the book of Revelation. You have to open up the Old Testament. Right. You have to open up the scriptures, the Old Testament scriptures. So this may be silly to ask at this point, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Would you say that it's essential to the Christian faith to read the Old Testament? I think that it is essential. Now, let's be clear here. Can you trust G if you're on a desert island and you just have the gospel of John somehow, some (laughs) way, and you trust in Jesus Christ without ever reading the Old Testament? Is the Old Testament essential for salvation in that way? I, I don't think so. But I would say that the Old Testament is essential to a vibrant relationship with our mighty God because Jesus is the God of the Old Testament. If you look at several places in the New Testament, John chapter one, Colossians chapter one, Hebrews chapter one, each of these different biblical authors are thoroughly convinced Jesus is actually the creator, that he is actively involved, Genesis one. And so the, the importance is that th- there's no divergence. When you, when you read the scriptures, there's no divergence. If we think there to be a divergence, between New Testament and Old Testament, it it is created by human beings. That's not the intention from the scriptures or from the biblical authors themselves. Do you think there's any risk in not reading the Old Testament? I think there's major risks in not reading the Old Testament Mm. because it's like you're reading the end of the story without comprehending the first. So I think that there are lower tier risks and higher tier risks. The lower tier risks is you risk never really wrapping your mind around the depth of Jesus's person and work. There's not a single aspect of his identity and accomplishment that does not have an Old Testament reference. And time escapes us to list all of them. The Lamb of God, the perfect sacrifice, the high priest, so on and so forth, again and again and again, right? And so while we can know that Jesus saves, like the, the richness and nuance of his work is found in the Old Testament, right? So, so there's a danger there. But another danger, like with anything, is when you're missing half of the information, and actually we've been saying half, you know, if you just look at the, the size of a Bible, yes, the Old Testament is actually like two thirds. It's so funny because when you read the Bible electronically, like I do, it makes it a lot easier. I can read it in the dark. I can read it whenever. You don't realize of how much of the Old Testament is of the Bible until you get a hardback Bible, like we used to all read, and you see that the New Testament is just a little sliver. Right. In comparison to the Old yes, Testament. Yes, correct. So think about the danger of neglecting a significant part of any whole, right? I mean, think about all of the debates that happen today when people take just the part of Jesus they like. Yeah. Like we, we know a ton about Jesus, right? We've got four distinct gospels that tell us from a different nuanced point of view about his person and work. And what you'll often find is people will take just a little sliver, right? And, and this is their Jesus. And that, that's totally artificial and it's very harmful to your perspective. We need the whole Jesus. And so if we're committed to this perspective that we want the whole Jesus, like not only the Jesus who forgives and is compassionate, but the Jesus who makes a whip and calls out hypocrisy, right? Then perhaps we should do the same thing when it comes to our interpretive method with mm. the Old Testament. Because if this is a whole, if we neglect two-thirds in terms of page of space, then we're most definitely setting ourselves up for a skewed perspective. I think also, Joe, a lot of times people tend to even put God at odds with himself. When they say, well, it's because the Old Testament says this about God, as if God changed his mind in the New Testament. Right. It's the same God. 
it's the same author. And I think that one of the dangers as well that I've seen personally in my life, who I fellowship with the believers of many denominations, and as much as I love them in Christ, but I do see how sometimes not having that balance of the Old and the New Testaments, not reading both and giving the same attention to both, and you sometimes put a certain doctrine on a pedestal over the essentials of the Christian faith. And because of the lack of the knowledge of the Old Testament, sometimes people will take something in the Old Testament completely out of context Hmm. and try to impose it now on, say, all Christians. Right. You know, in my case, I kept starting to read the Bible. I would try over and over, but I kept trying to start with Genesis. And I would be that person that I keep talking about that would stop by Exodus. And I thought, despite not reading thoroughly through the Old Testament, I thought I knew the Bible. But what I realized later is I knew church. I knew the scriptures that were at church. I knew some of the New Testament. It wasn't until I read the Old Testament that I realized, oh my goodness, I missed a humongous aspect of the Bible, a humongous piece that is essential. I miss judgment. I just, I, I think not reading the Old Testament or only reading a particular amount of the Old Testament, it really led to helping me to go into more liberal point of views or acceptance point of views or thinking that the Lord is, is just this loving God who permits everything, who's actually boundaryless, who doesn't come for judgment, especially because I think the people who aren't reading the Old Testament probably aren't really reading Revelation the way that's supposed to be read. And they're probably not getting through it or they're not really having that understanding. So when they're reading the New Testament, I think it's all the other books. And so I, I think not reading the Old Testament was a way the devil can just ride right in to help you kind of go along with the current. Love is love. Everything's permissible. No real boundaries until I read the Old Testament and realized, oh gosh, I missed a humongous piece and my whole worldview changed to more of a biblical worldview. And so I think it's really important that you may think you know scripture and you may know some scripture, but you may find out when you actually read the Bible in its entirety that you might not have known scripture. And I think we'd be really surprised to know how many people, how many believers professing Christians have actually have read the entire Bible. I think it's a very small percentage. It is, unfortunately. And if you find yourself in that boat, you just got to start somewhere. Now's a great time to start reading the entire Bible. You don't have to beat yourself up about it. You just need to jump in. What do you always say, Pastor Joe? <laughs> Today is, the gra- is a perfect day. Today is the day, right? Right. <laughs> And I think that a temptation that all of us face, whether explicitly or implicitly, is to create God in our own image. Hmm. And obviously, that, that's a terrible reality, right? Because it, it's skewed. And we are far closer to giving into that temptation when we're only reading a part of the story. Because we're dealing with limited information instead of the entire revelation of Scripture. A way to mitigate that temptation is to read the entire Bible. And, and I just, would just give some practical advice. I've gone to the farthest level of education, and quite honestly, I am not the strongest reader. And a discipline that I've had to cultivate in my life is I've had this imposter syndrome. Everyone else can read faster and better and retain <laughs> more than me. But if I take a bite-sized chunk... I'm not going to get it all done in a year. I'm not going to get it all done in two years, probably. But over the course of several years, I'm going to get it and know it rather than trying to rush through stuff mm. that I'm just going to forget. And so while, when you start somewhere and you're not trying to impress your neighbor, mm. we can do this. You know, it, it's a goal that can be accomplished. Absolutely. 
I started with one chapter a day. I figured I had to pick a goal that was doable, something that I wouldn't be in competition with myself about, something that was completely doable. I read it in the middle of the night when I was awake with my babies. And that's why I read it. I was great that it was on my phone because I had the light while it was dark. And, you know, I figured I'm awake in the middle of the night. Might as well start. I started with one chapter a day and studying that particular chapter. Now, maybe it took seven years, but that was a while ago now and it's done and you just keep on reading. So just jump in somewhere. And I just wanted to add, I think one of the other things that not reading through the Old Testament did was push me towards over-focusing on some things because my perspective was skewed about what the gospels were, what what the Bible says as in its entirety. So I over-focused on things that I think the world over-focuses on and I under-focused on the things that are biblical because I didn't have a balanced view. So you need to read the whole Bible if you want to have a balanced view. And I can definitely attest to that fact and the power of the Holy Spirit through the scriptures in my wife's life. I've seen her growth. I love to discuss scripture with her now. I love to go over certain passages of scripture and hear her input as well. And I know it took her several years to fully read it the first time. But I could tell everyone listening and everyone watching the podcast that the word of God never returns to him void. Right. And the more you get into his word, the more his word gets into you as well. Growth takes time. And full, full disclosure, let, let's have some real talk about this. Much of the Old Testament is hard. It is. I mean, you mentioned right at the beginning of this, cat that much of the literature, much of the language, even the literary genre, there are yes. genres in the yes. Old Testament that we do not have in the modern world. Let's acknowledge what it is. A lot of these books don't read as easy as a gospel mm. reads. That's right. Uh, and so it will take time and, and it may stretch our boundaries. You know, I mean, the largest book in the scriptures is in the Old Testament. You know, the Psalms are 150 chapters that dwarfs like everything else. And so with that being said, growth takes time. And what just kept me coming back was that on my first read, when I was first introduced to the Old Testament, I thought this is wild, weird, and <laughs> I don't get it. <laughs> but you know what? That Amen. was motivating, motivating to get back into it. And now after a significant amount of time of studying this deeply, the, just the incredible texture and nuance to the mm. character of God yes, and what he yes. does among his people it wouldn't be as marvelous without the Old Testament. And you don't have to grasp everything all at once. Amen. Right. I think as a former perfectionist, I think that was one of my struggles as well, is if you miss something, then you just don't want to do it. But you don't have to grasp it all at once. People study. One of the things I think is that people study for years. They dedicate Amen. their whole life to Amen. studying only one aspect of the Bible. I mean, they read the whole Bible, but to become an expert on one aspect of the Bible. So it's okay if you don't grasp all of it completely the first time. So, so full transparency. Right now, I'm preaching through the book of Genesis. Mm -hmm. Three weeks, Genesis 1, Genesis 2, Genesis 3. And I've read these, I've written on these, I've published on these. In fact, the end of chapter two of Genesis is the focal point of my PhD dissertation. And as many times as I've studied these things, this read and this study is providing insights that I didn't even expect. And that is the quality and character of God's word, both Old and New Testament. Not only does it never come back void, but it's mine and well is never shallow. It's always Amen. so deep that there is more to discover. It's a living word. Thank you for that. Just to put out there, women, in case you are looking for something to help you in reading scripture, that is definitely a passion of mine is to helping people get biblically literate, as is my husband. His was first. 
I have a group that's online that's via messaging. It's through Beautifully Rooted. You, there's no in person. There's no Zoom. It's strictly online. Now, if you can't stand messaging, this is not the group for you. But if you are okay with that, we have online groups through Facebook, Instagram, and Telegram where everybody reads a chapter on their own of whatever book is being read that month. And then we come together through messaging. You know, what we enjoyed about the scripture, a question that we might have. I post study notes, things like that. So that's free and everybody can check that out. You can message me through Beautifully Rooted, which is B-E-Y-O-U-T-I-F-U-L-O-Y and find out more about that if you want support in that. Maybe we'll get a men's one started sometime soon. Amen. Let's switch gears here a little bit. Jump to the other side of the coin when it comes to reading the Old Testament, because we've been very clear about how important it is to our faith and to our walk with Jesus to read the Old Testament. Now, there are some Christians who focus significantly on the Old Testament, so much so that they observe the Jewish law religiously. I think it's a moving that movement that is growing. I think of Hebrew roots when I think of that movement, and I'm sure there are other movements that are growing. Seventh-day Adventist. My question to you is... Is there a sense in which too much Old Testament can be too much? How much should we integrate the Old Testament into our lives? So I, I would hesitate to say that there's a sense in which there's too much Old Testament, uh, but I, I definitely know what you're getting at. And it was a pun, yeah. plan words. I think that it's important, very important to have the balance between the Old and the New Testament. And then very importantly, read what the New Testament authors have to say about the New Testament, including Jesus as he's recorded in the Gospels. I mean, Jesus comes as a paradigm shift. He says himself that he does not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. And Manny, you mentioned Galatians earlier in this podcast. Galatians, I think, is the clearest place to look to see the interplay between Old Testament law and the New Testament believer. The Apostle Paul, expertly trained in the law by the best people available at his time, chosen specifically by Jesus to be an apostle, the 13th apostle to the Gentiles. He speaks in Galatians, which is like a miniature Romans, dealing with much of the same stuff, about the relationship between the modern believer and the Old Testament law. He literally asked the question, why then the law? Because the astute reader is saying, okay, so what you're telling me is I don't have to keep the edges of my beard long. I don't have to do these things that were so clearly detailed in Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. So how does that work? Paul says, why then the law? It was added because of transgression until the Savior would come. He calls it a guardian. But now that we are adopted into the family of God, we are no longer under that guardian. So we, we, we have to read it. We have to focus on it. When we read Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, which is the primary place we're going we're to find the laws, including the second half of Exodus with that. We see a full revelation of God's character, holiness, expectations, all of the rest, right? But in the context of history, he gives a people who have already shown themselves to be prone to sin. You know, I mean, he delivers them mightily out of Egypt. And the first opportunity they get, Moses goes onto the mountain and they nearly immediately build idols and start worshiping them. God says, I'm going to show you every way that you could possibly foray into idolatry and don't even get close. 
But the Savior comes, Jesus comes, and he fulfills the law. He fulfills the sacrificial system by being the once and for all sacrifice. He fulfills the priesthood by being the high priest who stands permanently at his guard. He fulfills the food laws by bringing together Jews and Gentiles together, grafted into the covenant community. And again and again and again, Jesus fulfills the law. And so while I think we definitely need to focus on the Old Testament and particularly the law, we've got to look at it in a whole Bible perspective because Jesus fulfills the law. Considering there's so many people that I feel are swept up into following the Old Testament law as a must, what would you say to somebody who feels that they're a bad Christian if they don't keep the Sabbath, if they eat pork, if they don't get circumcised or get their child circumcised? I know that a lot of these people genuinely love Jesus. They genuinely love the Lord, but I do feel that they are sometimes are trapped in having to follow these laws. So what would you say to someone who feels like a bad Christian or who looks at somebody else? That might be a separate question, but who looks at somebody else and says, you're not as good of a Christian if you don't follow the Sabbath, if you don't X, Y, Z. I think that in one way, legalism is easier because then that puts the ball in your court Mm. and you don't have to recognize that you're a sinner in need of a savior. As I look over the course of Christian history, I see movement after movement that has created these legalistic expectations because then they get to say, God, I am earning your love. And that's not the way that God's economy works. He calls his people to holiness, no doubt. I mean, that's just straight up. God calls his people, be holy as I am holy. But he calls them to live in the freedom of the gospel. Freedom is without fear. Freedom is without blame and freedom is without guilt. And so recognizing the full scope and work of Jesus is the crucial answer to this and the most foundational component. If Jesus saves, he saves to the uttermost. And it's not just what he saves us from, it's what he saves us to. And he doesn't save us to Old Testament legalism. He saves us to a gospel-centric holiness that displays the goodness of God to the nations. Mm. And so that's where I would start the conversation. And then I would say, man, just, just look at the New Testament. You know, look at the way that Jesus shows the Pharisees how they have misunderstood the yes. Sabbath. Paul takes up the issue again in Colossians chapter two. Don't let someone take you astray by vain philosophy, insisting on these things. Instead, focus on the Jesus who cancels the record of our debt that stands against us with his legal demands, set them aside, nailing them to the cross. So focusing on Jesus, I think, is the first step to avoiding legalism and living a life of gospel freedom. Amen. One of the things that helped me tremendously as I was doing missionary work and I lived with a Seventh-day Adventist family who I learned to love so much in Christ, I learned to fellowship with them. And I even went to their services a couple of times. But when it came to the issue of the Sabbath, I noticed something and there was a distinction for sure where they were extremely legalistic about it to the point of creating almost a false sense of guilt Hmm. where they felt guilty I'm like, they felt condemned to where they had to ask God for forgiveness if they didn't arrive home on time to begin the observation of the Sabbath, which is based on the lunar calendar, right? The Jewish calendar. And I just remember seeing this in them and they were so distraught. And yet I would still feel joy. And I remember them once asking me, why don't you feel this way? And I'm like, because Christ has delivered me from that guilt. I mean, when you think about it, the gospel was never intended to eradicate the Old Testament, the New Testament. Rather, it's a filter of the Old Testament 
And what it does for us is as we read the New Testament, it shows us when we, when we make these distinctions in law, and Joe could probably verify this, that the term law itself or Torah or Tanakh, there's different words that are used to describe the Old Testament, correct? Right. And even the word law itself, the law itself, there's times in the scripture where it's referring specifically to the Mosaic law or ceremonial law. And then there's times where it's referring to the first five books of the Old Testament. And sometimes when Jesus says the law and the prophets, it's referring to the whole Tanakh, to the whole Old Testament. But I think for me, one thing that was so helpful is looking at the New Testament and seeing what do the apostles, specifically in the doctrinal epistles, what do they teach? Because they were the ones appointed by Jesus to teach us the Old Testament scriptures and what Jesus taught them. So when you read the epistles, the epistles serve as a filter for the Old Testament. And when you return to the Old Testament after reading the New Testament, it just enhances your understanding of who God is and of the gospels themselves. And you're able to decipher and say, okay, well, wait a minute. Paul does address the Sabbath. And what does Paul say about the Sabbath? Because Paul never says, don't worry about not stealing because, you know, you're in the New Testament. No, you, the moral law is still in the New Testament because that's part of God's character, the moral law. But when you think of ceremonial laws, when you think specifically like of the Sabbath or of dietary laws, circumcision, including, you'll see when they mention these things that it says the Gentiles are not obligated to keep these things. That's what it says. Is it in, in Acts chapter 15, correct, where they have their first church Jerusalem council right. and they decide these things. And I think that's why it's so important to have that balance. That's why it's so important to read both. Because it's true, sometimes when you get obsessed with a specific section and do not take into consideration the whole of Scripture, it can lead to false doctrine, unfortunately. That's right. Now, for those that haven't heard the term legalism, can you define that, please? Legalism is attempting to... I, I, now, here's the deal. Nobody is going to claim to be a legalist, <laughs> right? Uh, so, so legalism is inherently a word that is describing something other. But in my opinion, legalism is attempting to earn our way into God's kingdom. And legalism can take a couple different routes. It can either be what we do or who we are. So a weird aspect of legalism is when you make an ethnocentric description of who God, oh, who's God people are, right? So, Correct. Um, and here's the deal. And I firmly believe this from Genesis to Revelation, the entire Bible, no one has ever been saved because of who their great, great granddaddy was, right? Um, it doesn't matter what people group you come from. The reason and you brought this up earlier, Manny, the reason why the New Testament authors are just so prone to talk about Abraham especially Genesis 15, 6, mm, Abraham right. believed the Lord and it was counted to him as righteousness, is they make this case, and I think Paul makes it very strongly, especially in Galatians, yes, that people have always been saved by faith. Yes, And so, you know, you see incredible pictures of this, right? I mean, you see uh, the book of Ruth, small Old Testament book of Ruth. Maybe it's more, old, more airplay than other Old Testament books because it's like, it's a really tightly knit story. And we don't want the Bible to be ruthless. That's right. Can't. <laughs> so you said there would be puns. <laughs> so, you know, R Ruth as a person, she's not ethnically Israelite. That is correct. And yet she is included in the people of God based on her confession to her mother-in-law, Naomi. Yes. Your God will be my God. Yahweh will be my God. 
And Ruth is actually included in the very genealogy of King David, who is the king that presupposes how Jesus would be the king of kings, right? And that's just one example there. So legalism, either thinking that by my, you know, either ethnicity or just my presence in a community or through my work, I'm included in God's promises. And I don't think that the Bible ever makes that case. I think it's actually a matter of faith. Do we have faith in God? Now, how would somebody know that they've crossed into following Old Testament law into the point of legalism? How would they, are there any markers that they would know? Anything that should bring up a a red flag or a question mark to say, hey, is my perspective of the Old Testament skewed? Am I yoking myself back into slavery? Yeah, I I think that there's at least a couple ways. Uh, And this one might sound rudimentary, but when you start reading the New Testament and just letting the plain sense of it, when that contradicts that which you're trying to do. So here's what I mean by that. I mean, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And whether this is Jesus or John, it's a matter of scholarly debate, but whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life, right? So if if we see Jesus as our doorway into everlasting life, I mean, he is the, the keeper of the kingdom, right? And if by belief and by genuine faith, we are brought into this salvific community, we, I mean, we just read that. It's plain. And those are just two examples throughout the entire New Testament. So if we read the New Testament and it's contradicting what we are being told, you know, you have to do A, B, and C in order to earn God's favor. That's a mainstream tip-off that we are devolving into legalism. Another is when parts of the scripture are hidden from you. And what I mean by that is that it seems like cults, legalists, and others, you know, they've got a couple key chapters that are the only thing they ever talk about. While we all run the risk of only focusing on a certain variety of texts, if that's all we ever do, then we're probably not getting the whole picture. And so I think that those are two telltales. So if somebody is looking to vet a church they want to make sure that they're looking for a church that is well-versed in Old Testament, New Testament, and preaches the Bible in its entirety, what should they be looking for? Well, there's a couple things you can look for in the modern period. I mean, jump on however they store their sermons and just look at what they've done over the last three years. You know, now, now here's the deal, right? And, and I don't want to be too strong handed about this. I would venture to guess that in the average church, the New Testament is preached more than the Old Testament. And I don't think that that is an automatic indicator that a church is apostate or not faithful to Jesus. I think that, you know, you have to be very intentional to think about how you're balancing. I mean, if you were to look at the the last three years in our church, you'd see an almost 50-50 split. And that is intentional. But look at what they've been covering over the past three years. Have they looked at the Old Testament at all? Once again, if not, we're in this for the long game, okay? So I don't want to make a legalistic designation about their preaching schedule. But just look at what they're preaching. Are they preaching a good swath of the biblical material? Are they being faithful to the text? And then another thing is, I mean, look at their statement of faith. What are the parameters for being a part of this community? Is it based on what you're doing or is it based on who Jesus is? Those are two great telltales. 
I think also an observation that I've made, especially in, in Seventh-day Adventist churches and in some Hebrew Roots movements, is the continual overemphasis on one specific section of the scriptures or one specific commandment. For example, in the case of the Sabbath, right, to the point where the church is called Seventh-day Adventist. Mm. That's the emphasis is on the seventh day, on the Sabbath. And I think when you attend one of these churches and you continually just hear um, most sermons end up somehow related to the Sabbath and everything is about the Sabbath. And one of my concerns with that, very similarly to somebody that overemphasizes end times and every sermon has to do with end times or the Antichrist, figuring out who the Antichrist is. I think one of the dangers there is that the pulpit begins to overemphasize just one part of scripture and it almost ends up negating the whole purpose of that even scripture, which is the Lord Jesus, which is obedience to Christ, ultimately submitting to the kingship of our Lord Jesus, right? In complete obedience. And I think one of the things that I did observe and in some of my friends was that they were willing to say, hey, you know what? If it's not the Sabbath, I'm okay with fornicating, cussing, I'm, I'm okay with getting drunk, I'm okay with participating in every other sin. But man, if it's 6 p.m., I better run home to make sure I keep the Sabbath. Mm. And, I, and I remember I would even exhort many of them and say, how could you not care about everything else that the Lord Jesus talked about? They almost made the Sabbath their idol. And I think that's one of the things that you will see, right, when a church overemphasizes just that one particular doctrine. And I think that's where it risks the danger of being labeled as a sect or a cult. When they overemphasize that and they completely miss the author of scripture. So this may be redundant. We'll kind of end on this anyway. And this may be kind of a hard question to answer, actually. But how would somebody know they have a pretty balanced understanding, view, perspective of the Old Testament, the Old Testament and the New Testament? I think there is a two-part answer. Number one, there is a significant link between the two. And that link is named Jesus Christ. There's a sense in which when we read the Old Testament, we're looking forward. When we read the New Testament, we're looking backwards mm -hmm. and they form this hole that culminates in this like pinnacle. And that pinnacle is Jesus Christ. So mm. when we read the Old Testament and we're looking at the system, I mean, every system you can think about, the, the kingship, the priesthood, the sacrifice, the prophets, blah, 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 blah. All Amen. of those things are all pointing forward to the person and work of Jesus Christ. And then the New Testament is making this case that every part of Jesus, his work and what he calls the pe people to be is a continuation of what God has always been doing in this meta narrative of salvation history. So. First and foremost, if we want to balance, we need to know the center and the center is Jesus Christ. Amen. Mm. Good point. Amen. That's going to help us with the second thing that we can do to have a balanced perspective. And no joke, it's just to read with the gospel in mind. When, mm -hmm. we, when we read the New Testament, the Old Testament with the gospel in mind, that is going to solve 99% of our questions. Mm. So to go back to my story, right? I read this New Testament book that says, Gee, you know, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And I'm like, I come from a, a agrarian agricultural context. I know what lambs are. And I'm like, 
why such a wimpy animal? Right, that, that's what I'm thinking. As a 16-year-old, right? <laughs> why are they comparing Jesus to a, like, like I, I've heard culturally that he's the lion. Why are you calling him the lamb, you know? And so I'm thinking about this, think about this, think about this. And then sooner or later, I get into Leviticus, you know, the big bad Leviticus, right? And I read in chapters one through seven about these sacrifices where they take this lamb and they shed his blood and this lamb shows atonement, forgiveness of sin. And I'm like, oh my goodness, click, light on. That's why John the Baptist said, behold the lamb of God. So now I've got this two way perspective, right? So now, you know, when I'm reading the Old Testament, I'm reading it with the gospel in mind and I just see Jesus, right? And then when I read the New Testament, I can see that Old Testament foundation and reading both with the gospel at the center, with Jesus at the center helps me be balanced. Thank you for that. The last thing I'll kind of throw in there before we jump into our scripture section is that genealogies of the Old Testament (laughs) And there's a couple in the New Testament, right? But it is not my favorite. I definitely am that person who will just run different sounds through my head when you start listing names that are hard to pronounce. But what I did find is after reading the Bible and then continuing to read and continuing to read and continuing to read, when I would go back to the Old Testament or in the genealogy of the New Testament, because I had read so much, I recognized some of the names and it became a lot more interesting. So just know if you keep on reading that stuff that might seem a little bit boring or monotonous might actually become more alive. It is a living word. So let's jump into our scripture section now. And the scripture that I brought today was Hebrews 13, 8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Old Testament, New Testament. All right. I chose 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 and 21 where it says, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And I think when you begin to read the Old Testament, you realize that it's the same Holy Spirit that gave the apostles that word, that gave the apostles, those letters that were written by the apostle Paul, the gospels, they were all infused by the same Holy Spirit. They were all inspired by the same Holy Spirit. How about for you, Joe? So the scripture that I brought was Luke 24, 44, on the road to Emmaus. This is after the resurrection. I mean, Jesus has, you know, he, he is the risen king. And he says to his disciples, was this not what I told you when I was still with you? That everything written about me hmm. in the law, that's the first five books. Yes. The prophets, which is the second section of the Old Testament and the Psalms, which is the first book of the third section that everything written about me in the law of the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. The Old Testament points to Jesus. Amen. Amen to that. Now, let's say that you've heard this podcast and Pastor Joe, they have heard it and they can't remember everything. If there was one thing you'd want them to remember, what would that be? The entire Bible. Old and New Testament is all equally God's word. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us, Pastor Joe Slunaker. We thank you so much for coming on. And thank you, listeners and viewers, for tuning in. Don't forget that we are available on all your major podcast platforms. Don't forget to subscribe and to follow us. That way we have motivation to keep on going. And we know that you are listening and watching out there. 
you can also check out our Facebook, our Instagram. We have social media accounts and we also are on YouTube. So check in so you don't miss anything. Pastor Doe, would you pray for us as we conclude? Absolutely. Our great and mighty God, we thank you so much that you so clearly tell us who you are and what you have done in your word. And that from Genesis to Revelation, we see an incredible story of you redeeming your people. When your very image bearers rebel against you, you clothe them and care for them. And you tell them somehow, some way, someday, the seed of Eve is going to crush the head of the serpent. Mm. And I thank you so much that we see that culminated in Jesus Christ. And if you're going to keep your word between Genesis and Matthew, you are most definitely going to keep your word to us. I pray, Lord, for the mind of Christ that you give us through the spirit, that we might be able to discern your truth, be shaped and transformed by it. And I pray, Lord, that you would give us a bold conviction to not only read, but proclaim the entire Bible. Amen. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Until next time. Ciao. Bye-bye.